Hey friends, welcome to Charlotte Mason for All, where every culture, country, and community is welcome. Our mission is to bring Christ through the Charlotte Mason philosophy and methods to homes around the world, including yours. My name is Erica Alicea, and I'm your host, along with LaShawn Thomas, Mariana Mascracchio, and Min Huang. Welcome back to our Living Books by Living Author series, where we get to interview authors and illustrators of modern day living books. Today, we are so excited to have award-winning author Anika Aldamoy Denise join us today. You may know Anika as the author of some pretty wonderful picture books, such as Planting Stories, The Life of Librarian, and Storyteller Pura Benpre. A Girl Named Rosita, the story of Rita Moreno, actor, singer, dancer, trailblazer, the love letter, and many more. Anika, it's such a pleasure to have you share with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Hey, so maybe we could start with you telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, you did a lovely in- introduction of my books, but um, I am an author of picture books. I have been writing for... Gosh, I think my first book came out in 2007. So now I'm, I'm like, I'm a veteran, I guess. <laughs> but I don't feel like one ever. <laughs> I still feel like every project is new with new discovery. But I am mixed. So my father's side is Puerto Rican. My mom's side is Italian with a little French thrown in. I write about that heritage. I like to write characters that represent... Um, my family, and I also like to write about powerhouse Puerto Ricanias, <laughs> like Pura del Rey and Rosita, um, and I have another book coming up about another powerhouse Puerto Ricania, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So I'm interested in both fiction and nonfiction. I'm a mom. <laughs> I have three daughters, and they're big readers. We are a book family. My husband is an illustrator, so we kind of call children's books the family business. And I feel very blessed to do what I do. Yeah, you are just living the dream. (laughs) Writing children's books with your husband as well, right? You have several together? Yes, we do. Um, My first books were with Chris. Chris has been illustrating books for, gosh, he's really a veteran. (laughs) He's been doing it for years, his first books were the uh the red wall picture books i don't know if you know them they're they're many years old now but it was like his big break and we met in 1998 and his books had just come out so he was new to the industry and and doing well and um i was writing not children's books right i was writing like copy for advertising agencies and things like that and i saw what he was doing and i i of course have always been a big reader and love to read but um you know, I thought, hmm, this is maybe something I would like to give a try. And uh, he taught me a lot. And we went on to publish my, our, my first book that I had written. And he illustrated with me. We published two books um, right away. We got a two-book contract, which was really cool. And then we, we've done a couple more since then. So we work together and then not together sometimes, which is nice. Yeah, that sounds so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, the first time I heard of you was a couple of years ago. I have a, a friend. She's actually my friend from middle school, and she's a, a high school teacher, and she knows that I love children's books. And so she sent me a message about planting stories. 
And she was like, I think this might be a little young for your daughter, but it looks so interesting. And I was blown away by it. I, I bought the English one. I bought the Spanish one. <laughs> I ended up buying a biography on Pura Bempre. And, and for me, I was so shocked because I had never heard of her. And mm-hmm. I, I, I've lived my entire life in New York City. And I was just like, I've never heard of this one. She was such a powerhouse. Yeah, such a force. Yeah. So it's funny because like my experience with, with Ura is my, in growing up, I had one Titi who gave me her books and loved Ura Bilbe. Like, no, knew her books, took me to the library to take out um, Perez y Martina and so I remembered the cover to that, you know, that most iconic story that she wrote. You know, you really don't think about the authors when you're a kid. Maybe you do more now, right? Maybe kids know more about their authors because they're, they're visiting them in their schools. And, you know, teachers do author studies and homeschoolers do author studies. Right. But at the time, I just knew that this was a great story and it was different from anything else that I had read because it had Spanish in it. You know, I, I would hear my Titi read it out loud to me and it was, she said, this author is from Puerto Rico. And so I had a connection and I didn't have any other books like that. So I had that memory of her. Cut to later in my life when I become a children's book author myself and I hear that there's a, an award for Latinx literature named after her. And I'm like, oh, okay, who's Pura del Rey? And then I make the connection that this, these are the stories of my childhood. And suddenly I was like, okay, I want to know everything about her life, right? Now I want to know more. And that's actually what gave me the idea to do the book about her because once that connection was made, it was like, it was really like a moment where I, I was almost, it was very emotional because I was brought back to a moment when I discovered myself in a book for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was also living a life of doing something similar. I mean, not anywhere to the level that Pura del Rey did. You know, she was prolific and so influential, but I was walking a path in children's books and trying to write stories with representation. And so I had all these connections to her that made her story, you know, so intriguing and, and wanting to find out more from me, you know, about her. And for our listeners, well, first off, uh, Titi in Spanish in Puerto Rico is like auntie. Okay, so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I, I always forget people don't know that. <laughs> and uh, those of you who are listening and who are interested, you have to take uh, get this book because um, not only does Anika do a beautiful job of sharing her story uh, for children, but then I love the author's note, and I love the author's note in Rosita also um, because it's so. Um, it is kind of emotional when you when you read about these women who we're talking about a time that was difficult for women in general. And then you're talking about women of color and then you're talking about uh, women who technically are not immigrants because Puerto Ricans are citizens of the United States. However, 
it's 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 such a different culture that it's it's a similar uh immigrant experience and you're talking about these women coming up in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and super inspirational and and pura bempre was the uh the first um i'm gonna say and I, I don't even say latin i think she was the first hispanic uh librarian in new york city and mm-hmm. then her her writing was the first published writing by a hispanic Yes, it was the first, her, her book, um, Perez and Martina, was the first Latino storybook published by like a mainstream press. Exactly. And so I had never heard of it. Uh, and I, I love that you not only introduced me, but introducing the next generation to her. And my parents, who are older, in their 70s and when my dad just passed in his 80s and they had never heard of Pura Bempre but they heard of Perez and Martina yes and so when I was started sharing oh yeah that's the the the, the mouse and and the, yeah. and then and, and they just and all of a sudden they were transported back to being children and they 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 just started telling me the story and we're so excited and I I was just like oh my gosh this is the power of of you know yes great great writing and and talking about great people and and bringing people back right people who were unknown she was known in her community but she wasn't known in in many other places and so that yeah that was pretty exciting yeah that's that's one of the most wonderful and gratifying things about writing the book was of course she's known in our community, in the Puerto Rican community, um, and maybe not to everyone, right? You said you, you hadn't heard of her. Um, she's certainly known in the New York library community, right? And educators know about her. But you know, there's a, there was a lot of readers who said, how, how have I not known this woman's story? And to, to be able to do that, along with you know, a, a lot of wonderful books about her and a lot of wonderful scholars who've kept that legacy alive and obviously the people on the at um reforma and else that have the award named after there's a reason you know that they want to pass on that legacy so i was very honored to join that group of people who are doing that with this book and i would love 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 if some of her books came back into print yes that is a whole nother thing because i bought a lot of her books, but I had to search and I had to wait. Yes. Because some of them, I had some of them were like a hundred dollars or more. And and I patiently waited until I was able to get my deals. But I was just yes. like, but still, you know, we shouldn't have to do this. <laughs> this yeah. should be accessible to everyone and anyone. And so I agree. She's too important. Her stories are too wonderful. And they're they're so different, you know, even when you hear them today, they certainly hold up. They still capture an audience because I've, I've read a lot of her stories out loud to kids at school visits and um, they still capture an audience, but she's just so influential and influential and important that I feel like, why, why are they not available? You know, <laughs> like she's, she's just this, this figure that um, is not only this wonderful storyteller, but her story is so important. So we should be able to read her books. We should be able to walk into any independent bookstore and get it. So if the publishers are listening, <laughs> we want it maybe an anthology. I don't know another, you know, republished of a collection of her folktales with all. Can you imagine that with yes. all modern illustrators now and maybe 
and each one taking a different story. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I would be, I'm there for that. <laughs> yeah. I, one of her um, older ones was actually the tiger and the rabbit that I have in mm-hmm. front of me was illustrated by Tommy to Paola. Yes. I thought yeah. it was really cool. Yeah. He illustrated her, she has a collection of folk tales. Is that, yeah, you have the book right there. This yeah. one. <laughs> yep. You can't see it, but it's a beautiful, you know, um, to Paola's, it, his, illustrations there that woodcut pencil look and there there's something really special so yeah I, but I would love to see them reimagined too thank you so much for for bringing her back and you shared a little bit about how you became a writer uh, but what what inspired you to write in from the beginning I think I've always been a kid I, I grew up as an only child I have half siblings that came later, right? I'm the oldest. Um, so I spent a lot of my childhood on my own. I have parents who worked, I was a latchkey kid, and I was left in with my imagination a lot of the time. And I channeled that into reading, and I channeled that into writing, <laughs> poetry, and plays I you know I was that's how I entered the world was through writing at a young age and I never really thought about making my living that way that was not on my radar I thought after I graduated from college that I would you know have to get a a job at a company and (laughs) that's why I wound up in advertising you know I had college loans to pay and I had to do this I had this path that people in my family even were telling me to follow. But the writer in me never really left. And I, but I just wrote for myself, you know, not for anyone else. And then I, I met my husband and here he was doing this thing that he loved, making art for children's books, beautiful art. It made him so happy. It fed his soul. It was not an easy career, but he was full in and committed to it. And he kind of showed me that it was possible and encouraged me when I said, you know, I think I would like to give this a try. He was so nurturing and helpful and, you know, put books in my hands. Like you've got to read this and you've got, you know, like he has this wonderful library of books and even let me have a conversation with his editor who was, um, her name is Patty Gouch. Patty is a good friend, his first editor, kind of the person who discovered him, right? And gave him his first shot. And so he said, you should talk to Patty about it. And I remember this was like, I don't know if this would happen today, because what, this is 20 years ago. And she got on the phone with me and she said, I think you're a wonderful writer. I think you can do this. So she gave me some encouragement. And then I wrote like a lot of really bad drafts, like you do when you don't know how to write for children yet. You know, <laughs> you write things that are too long and too much detail. And, you know, really realizing that your, your picture books can't be 2,000 words <laughs> and all that stuff. But I kept at it because I thought, well, I know, I know that I can write. I just have to learn about writing for kids. And eventually I had something breakthrough you know I had and actually it was Patty who published it and that gave me the confidence that maybe this is something that I could continue to do still then I didn't think that I could only do that you know I thought oh well I have to this will be my thing on the side and the thing is whatever I was doing on the side it was taking me away from being Mm -hmm. able to commit to writing full-time I realized and 
if I was always thinking about stories. Even when I was doing, even when I was writing ad copy or radio jingles and things like that, I, my heart was, was in children's books and it's my first love. And I love writing for this audience and love writing for young people. And I, now I, I could never do anything else. So encouraging. Yeah. It's, well, I, I think if you want to do it, you know, it, I'm not going to say it isn't hard, but my gosh, you know, there's nothing like it. So go for it. Right. Right. <laughs> and what are some books that have inspired you when you were growing up? Wow. Well, I mentioned Pura Vail Price books, of course, but other than that, I really didn't have any, you know, certainly any characters that looked like me or had like a mixed family like mine, you know? Um, so I, I really liked, um, I liked <laughs> books with the way I would identify. So I, of course you're always looking to like characters that, that you identify with. Right. So I liked books with strong, like female leads and who did like smart things like solved mysteries or, you know, empowered characters. And by empowered, I don't mean, you know, like the way we think of it today. Like I think of the book from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, the, the character of Claudia Kincaid. She was smart and brave and she went with her brother and they stayed in the museum overnight, you know, which I thought was an amazing thing and just did things that I sort of secretly wanted to do, you know? Um, and those were the kind of books that I could have put down. So I was, I was not, their characters didn't necessarily look like me and didn't have families like mine, but I thought, this is me, you know? I'm that curious kid. I want to go have an adventure. Um, so it was, it was a lot of, I guess, strong female characters, which is funny now that I'm saying that, I'm like, because that's what I try and write now. <laughs> creative you know so they they have an they're they're in there somewhere they have an influence on me still yeah for sure for sure mm -hmm. and what about the books that inspire you now oh there's so many um and so whenever I'm asked this question I'm like you know I think that I obviously also like books where I learn something you know from a nonfiction, from a picture book biography standpoint I'm really enjoying the sort of heyday that this genre is having because I find that picture books I think they're for all ages right so oh, without question of course so I love when I discover someone new like I was just um I just did a little post about this book called Nikki Nakayama a chef's tale in 13 bites it's written by my friend Jamie McCallick and Debbie Machiko Florence and it is um a chef that I hadn't heard of Nikki Nakayama is one of the first um, female, she was like one of the first female sushi chefs because in um, Japan, it's only males who can be sushi chefs. And she uh, went on to open her own restaurant and get Michelin stars. And, you know, even her own family didn't think that this was appropriate, right? So here's, here's this somewhat hidden figure who I discovered through through a picture book, you know, and it has wonderful illustrations by Yuko Jones, which will make you just want to read on, but also make you a little bit hungry because <laughs> the food is amazing. And it also, it talks about her, I'm related to her because it talks about her at the intersection of two cultures. You know, mm -hmm. she was, 
She was born here. Her parents are Japanese. She wanted to be, you know how first generation kids are always like the bridge, right? With their parents, like between American culture and assimilation right. and then their culture, you know, their family's culture. And they often, you know, bring their family along into maybe, you know, accepting some more American things, you know, <laughs> and um, that's, that, that, that is Nikki's story. And so I loved, love, love this book. I can't like just off the top of my head of something that I've read recently that I love. That's, that's one of them. Um, I'm a huge fan of Nonique Ramos. <laughs> she has um, the book, the picture book, Your Mama. And I was so thrilled because both this book and a girl named Rosita is on the 2022 Feminist Book Club. You can see the theme. Like I like, I like learning and reading about strong women, right? <laughs> um, but this one takes that the old your mama joke. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. You know, we know this. We, we grew <laughs> up in Queens, but like we know your mama, so you know. But um, and like turns it, like flips it and turns it. Um, into this beautiful ode to motherhood and this strong Latina mom, you know, um, and it's just like, gorgeous. and oh my God, Jackie Alcantara's illustrations are phenomenal. Um, and I just, it was so fresh and so different in her poetry. I love poetry. I also write in rhyme and in verse sometimes. So I'm also um, attracted to books that just, are lyrical and play yes. with language, but like, I'm even gonna, Monica, I'm gonna read some of your book right here. <laughs> but it starts, your mom is so sweet. She could be a bakery, all frosting, powdered sugar and pastries, leaves, love notes in your almuerzo, homemade. She's the cinnamon to your tembleque, the tres leches to your cake. Like, come on. It just gave me chills. Right? <laughs> no, Nika, you're writing books that make me like, but you know, those are books that you're so happy for your friends, but you're also like, dang. <laughs> She's good. <laughs> like that tiny bit envious, but just, and also just like so celebratory and, and the whole thing. I'm, I'm, the joy. The it's joy in that. Yeah. And that the celebration of motherhood that, like, that's, written in such a way that feels so familiar to the way that I grew up and also just um, so beautiful and so well done. So I think this book was actually on, um, was a Kirkus Prize finalist as well. So Monika's star is, it's already risen really, but it's on the rise. And um, she has a book coming called Beauty Woke, which is illustrated by the same illustrator who I should have mentioned when we were talking about planting stories. The illustrator of planting stories is Paula Escobar, oh, yes. and the illustrations are, as you know, jaw-droppingly gorgeous, and um, Nonika has a book coming out that Paula illustrated called Beauty Book, and it is like, sort of the story of Sleeping Beauty, but with a Boricua twist, right? <laughs> so that's coming, I think, in a few months. I can't remember the pub date on that, but I got a little sneak peek of that, and I'm really enjoying Nonika's books right now. And those are just like some, I could go on and on. And yes. yes. <laughs> you know, but, but, but you're, you're so right when you talk about the power of picture books, because it's, it's a dream of mine also to write picture books one day. And it's because it's been such a powerful tool for years uh, when I was teaching and even now. And 
so many people, when people don't really encounter a, a picture book like this, like those or like yours, they're thinking books with pictures that are like fun, um, you know, just light. And yeah. it's like, there, there's so much that can go into it. And when you have something that is so well written, paired up with something that is so well illustrated, you mm -hmm. get something that's almost magical. Like it's just yeah. amazing. The fusion of, of, of both and how um, in terms of the content that you can have uh, writing that, that, uh, and give information that, transcends the children like the little ones you you can read it in middle school you could read it in high school you can read it you know as an adult uh we we interviewed also eric velasquez and i in talking with that like schomburg i remember taking giving schomburg um to my husband and to both my parents and them reading it and just my husband was familiar with schomburg but my parents weren't and just learning so much and to watch these older people engrossed in a picture book, you know, yeah. it's this intergenerational, like it just transcends age. Absolutely. And, yeah. And, and yeah. it can be used what, what, whatever great, it's how you use it, right? How you, you present it. You think about it too. I mean, we all love images and words, the fusion of those, right? And we like them in movies and we like them in graphic novels. So why, why not picture books? Why does that have to have an, um, an age cap, right? Mm -hmm. My friend Kelly Light, I remember her saying, oh, picture books are like your first, when you're young, they're like your first like 3D movie, right? Because they're, you're holding it right up there and it's right in front of you and you're, you're understanding, certainly getting reading comprehension, you know, watch, hearing the words and seeing them on the page and getting context from the pictures. Like that's your first experience with storytelling in that way. And it's, it's powerful and it does not have an age limit, you know. Um, I have a friend, my friend Terry Shea. I'm going to shout out this teacher in Iowa <clears throat> who's a good friend of mine. I went to his school um, and visited his school maybe, gosh, it's been like five years ago now. But I it was like my first away school visit that I had done that far away. Like I've, I've gone to schools in New York City, you know, but here I was going to it and it was, I was so nervous you know, to do well. <clears throat> and one of the first things, excuse me, we did was we met with his morning book club. And I sat with these high school students and they have a stack of picture books and they read them every morning. And he still does this, the morning book club. And I just was so amazed at how interested these high schoolers were in picture books and really analyzing them and reading them out loud to each other and laughing at the funny parts, you know, just taking so much enjoyment out of them and then also going on to use them, you know, in writing classes to teach about story arc and story structure and, you know, mood and theme and all these things that are in this little sort of micro universe of a picture book to me. I just, I, I really believe that they're for everybody. Oh, for sure. And an example I think would be uh, another example is your Rosita book because there are so many things left unsaid because it's too much to yeah. you're talking about someone who's like 90. Yeah, she <laughs> right? is 90. She just turned 90 in December. Right. And yeah. I, I just read her, her memoir this past year. 
and there's so much that because so much can't be told but with older students you can infer and, mm-hmm. and have those discussions like and, and even with the younger ones too like what must it have been like what what do you think um what, what's going on in her heart or right you know whatever it is it, it's just it, it can really spark deep conversation and again books written for children but there's so much that you can do with this so much depth and so much wealth there yeah it was a challenge i'm not gonna lie you know here you have this woman who has such a long and rich and amazing career with so many highs and lows and so many different ways you could tell her story right and also to tell the story of when she was a little girl there was so much there you know you read her memoir like about that experience of being of loving living where she lived in puerto rico and feeling like this was the most um, magical place and she had all her family around her and to one day be told okay that's all going away and we're moving to new york it's something that happens to so many kids right so many new arrivals from wherever right in the middle of winter in the middle of winter right after like you know running barefoot she talked about like running barefoot you know with her little brother a tropical and, paradise in the tropical paradise <laughs> and naming all the you know she her mom used to i love the story that she told her, her mom used to put the plants up to her and make her sniff and she with her eyes closed and she would know what it is she'd be like right now you know yeah. <laughs> and and her mom was you know she and she was um doted on by all this family and so she had this sort of storybook existence and then it was it all changed so drastically but there's like a whole story in that right yes. but then but then there's this whole trajectory to becoming a performer so i had to make some i think kind of difficult decisions about what to you know where to point the lens what to leave in what to leave out we had so many discussions about francisco her little brother because um, a couple of my early readers were like, I don't know, kids are gonna be so sad to know that that they didn't take, how, how could a mom not take both her children with her? Like, they're gonna hear about this little boy. I mean, I had some really, I had some language in there, like how she used to kiss the top of his, like the peach fuzz at the top of his head, mm-hmm. his fluffy head. I mean, it was, it, was, it was pretty emotional. Things that didn't make it to the final version, but a few readers said, I, I just think you have to leave him out. And I was like, I wrote a version without him and it just did not feel right. I was like, no, he, this is a true story. How, you can't leave him out. And yes, this is a hard thing. You know, her mother had to make a very hard decision. She had her reason. She was in a difficult marriage. She um, did not have the resources to take both children. She thought she would come back. You know, she thought eventually that he would come you know, stuff happens in life, life happens, and that's real. And how do I erase him? Right. And then I thought, okay, I need to respect my readers too. Because even though they're young, all of these readers have their own things in their lives that are hard, right? They relate to this, especially now, right? How do we, we need to tell them that this happened, and that it was real, and then offer them some hope, right? Mm -hmm in some context. So my editor read it and she was like, 
I think you need to put him in. And she, she read, I sent her the version without him. And she actually asked the question. I remember getting like the notes and a big circle around what about her fam more about her family there. And I was like, yes, there's a little brother that I need to tell you about. And I told her about it. She's like, put it in. We got to put it back in. I said, I'm so glad that you think that. And I get a lot of questions from young readers. What happened? What happened to the brother? Because it's kind of mentioned, but not really. It's like she realizes at some point, it's pretty subtle. And I touch on it again in the author's notes. But, you know, the truth of that story is pretty sad and tragic one. You know, um, we left some of that out. But I feel, I feel like I have to respect my readers enough that they can handle it. And that if, they're, if they ask questions, that's okay. If it causes them to say, well, why did she leave him behind? Well, okay, let me tell you about the realities of what happens to people who are immigrating, who are making a life choice for the betterment of their family, that they're not, those are messy and real and imperfect decisions that happen. Right. And that's a good conversation to have with kids, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the our podcast um, is based on a philosophy of education. Um, she was, Charlotte Mason was um, a British educator from the turn of the century. And one of the things that she felt very strongly about is that children should be presented with the truth. Mm. And of course, we use wisdom in the presentation. Uh, we take into account what stage uh, in their life uh, that they're at, uh, their age, and and being very sensitive to their unique personality. But however, however, the truth needs to be put forth because we 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 can't omit everything because and then we're not we're doing them a disservice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. With um, planting stories, it was similar. You know, she lost her husband tragically as a fairly young woman and that was pivotal and I you know there's another book about love I told very different there's two others told very differently and it depends on the, the story that you're telling and all are valid and all are beautiful you know they're all beautiful ways to tell her story the first one the storyteller's candle you know really takes um, a, a historical fiction approach from the viewpoint of two children who come to New York and they meet Pura del Pre when she comes to their classrooms. That's what she did. She did classroom visits all around New York City, right? She wasn't just in the library working. She travels, right? And she would bring her storyteller's candle and her puppets. And it was a beautiful way to tell the story. And it gives you a, an interesting perspective of what it was like at the time. I, I really, I love it. And then I, when I was telling my story, I was like, I would like to show the full arc of her life. Like there was something beautiful in that to me and something that showing that there was um, hard things that happen, really teach kids that the life isn't going to be perfect, right? It's not that you're gonna have challenges, but it's how you live your life every day. It's how you enter the world. It's what you go back to your passion. That's what she did. She returned to the library, right? After this hard thing. I thought it was sort of remarkable that she stepped out of the library for 20 years to go and, and travel with her husband, right? That for me as a woman reading that, I was like, oh, wow, she had this, like her career was at its, you know, it was really moving and shaking at that point. Like she was 
doing conferences and getting well known and getting published and was a rising star in the library. And then she got married and she left. Like, what a decision that had to have been hard for her. Right? I, I found that fascinating, you know, as a, a working mother <laughs> too of, of three girls, like the difficult de decisions you have to make for your family. Um, Pura didn't wind up having children, but she certainly made it for the family of her and her husband. Like she made sacrifices and then, you know, reinvented herself again. So to me, that was, a, again, and these are themes for adults and children, right? Sure, these yeah, are, definitely. these are deep. And I found that like to be able to tell that aspect of her story really great. And I, I think that that's why it's important that you don't have just one book about somebody, you know, like, like there's a reason why there's more than one because you get a, a really broadened and lovely perspective. So I encourage everybody to read the storyteller. That's um, Lucia Gonzalez. Yes. yes. That, yeah. Beautifully, beautifully written and bilingual as well. Yes. And both, and it's not, yeah, it's both, which is, we did a separate Spanish language edition for planting stories because the language was so spare and we felt like we wanted to give the art enough room to, to really blossom in a way, how she did all her, <laughs> she, she really bloomed, her art really bloomed yes. on the page. Oh. We wanted to, to give Paula that space to do so. Um, but there's also something really lovely about having that, the bilingual in one, especially if you're learning Spanish, right? You can, you can read the English and read the Spanish all on one page. So it's all, it's all good. It's all wonderful. It's all um, important. And, I like actually reading more than one story about a person, you know, okay. I think, and I also think about like how many stories come out about men, like how many stories are there about Abraham Lincoln, right? There's like, <laughs> there are so many picture books about George Abraham Washington. Lincoln and George Washington and Martin Luther King, like, yes, Endless. There, <laughs> there should be multiple stories told about these women as well. So yeah, I don't even know how a, I got on this topic, but <laughs> it's, it's a great point. It's a great point. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've mentioned a little bit about the decisions that you make as a writer. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your writing process? Yeah, I, I'm 100% transparent in saying that I don't have a thing that I, like a, a schedule that I stick to every day. Like people say, you have to write. If you're a writer, you have to write every day, every day, every day. I have so many other things going on in my life that I, I absolutely try and write every weekday if I can, but sometimes I can't because I'm doing school visits or I'm you know, doing other aspects or I'm being mom or I'm, you know, doing freelance work of another nature. So I, what I do try and do is be very um, present for the story that I'm working on, like keeping that forefront and sacred and knowing that when I do have the space in my schedule to work on that, that it's going to take all my attention. I'm going to give it like full and present focus. I do not pick up my phone. I shut everything off. I, I'm all in, in the time that I do work. And that's when I do my best work without distraction. I generally, as far as like crafting a picture book, I start just letting it roll like I write. I don't outline, you know, I think if you're working on novels, maybe it's more important to outline, at least not at first. I just let the story come so I can hear it, so I can hear the lyricality of the language, so I can hear the voice of the picture book, 
so I can sort of get my arms around the idea of it, what it needs to sound like. And then, you know, I, I may not have the full draft, but I, I have, you know, the first few pages. And then, and then I go back when I feel like I've hit on the voice of what this should sound like. And I start to make notes and think about character and arc, story arc, and is this, is every passage or every word sort of serving those themes with planting stories, for instance, like, of course, I did a lot of research up front too, before I even wrote a word. <laughs> and I couldn't really find the voice of it at first. And then I stumbled on the very famous actually quote that she said that she wanted to be like Johnny Appleseed, right? And she wanted right. to plant her story seeds there. And that's, so that I circled, I remember being, I was actually in New York at the Center for Puerto Rican Studies in her archives. And I had, I had seen that quote, but being there and reading it and looking at all her papers and sort of being immersed, all of a sudden I realized that that was the angle that I wanted to take on the story, that she really was a planter. Uh, you know, she was sowing the seeds and that her legacy was this sort of garden of stories. And once I had that, it was like all of a sudden the language just poured out of me, right? Because it all, it sort of hinged on that, that, that metaphor, right, of, okay. of planting. And then of course the art bears that out as well, you yeah. know, and Paula takes it and then I saw that artwork and I was like, yes, this is, this is, the, this is the way in. Yes, yes. And from a really, real, like just a practical standpoint too, and I think this is probably why other authors maybe decided to, to take the historical fiction approach is because she was really quiet about her childhood. She said basic overview kinds of things, like her grandmother read to her and told her stories. But the most detail in her interviews and her papers came when she was already working you know, at the library. So her early life isn't as documented. So I, I wanted, I really wanted to write a very straight up, without any imagined dialogue or anything like that, biography. I wanted everything in this picture book to be true. So, but it also, I did want it to be narrative. It's narrative nonfiction. So it, it shouldn't be boring. It should flow. It should have. So, but because of that, it, it didn't allow for, <laughs> for me to do these rich descript descriptions of her, of her youth, you know, of her as a little girl, because they just, I didn't have the source material for that. So I begin the book really when she leaves, right? And, and when she gets, when it allowed me to focus really on her library work, right? And then her writing and becoming published and all those things that we talked about earlier. And that metaphor was a way to say, oh, okay, so I can, I can really kind of begin with her taking these seeds from her homeland and bringing them here and replanting them, right? And then it all came together. And that's, that's how I was able to kind of make that work, I guess. <laughs> right, because you, you allude to it. You, you said uh, she, she tells the stories that she learned under the tamarind tree. Yes. Which like was, that imagery. And that is fact. That is anything. I've been, I've been, I talk a lot with Melissa Sweet, who is like the nonfiction 
like I feel like she knows everything about nonfiction. She writes um, narrative nonfiction and informational fiction, and she has an incredible blog. Um, one of her books just won a Seabird Medal in this recent YMAs that just was last week. And we, she talks about that a lot, like what is narrative nonfiction and everything in it is based, it's narrative and it feels like I'm telling you this, this telling you the story, like you're around the, you know, you're in the, the, the children's room around the story hour candle and you're listening to the story, but none of it's made up. None of the dialogue is made up. Um, it all, she talked about in, in the little, the little that she talked about growing up and having experiences with storytelling as a young girl, she mentions the tamarind tree and she mentions being in the old forts and sharing stories with her cousins and like, and that being a pastime, you know? And so I was able to take that and use it and know that it's, it's truth, which that for me was really powerful. How do I make this truth sing? Right. And you did, and you Thank did it you. well. <laughs> What about the child who's struggling with reading and writing? What type of encouragement could you give to a parent who wants to help this child in this area? The first thing is, I think that we have to model reading, right? We have to, we can't just be like, you need to read these pages for homework. <laughs> if you're not reading, if you're sitting on your phones, and I trust me, I do it too. <laughs> no judgment. I know I have social media and things like that and I'll have my phone but my children have always seen a book in both of you know their parents hands like we and and it's a joy like I would say oh, I can't wait to get to bed with my new book like I, I when I got a book for a holiday gift you know I would just be like it would be wonderful I can't wait to to read so I think I think like you have to like show that you also read, you know, and model it in some ways. And I know it's not easy for everybody. And some people don't take the same enjoyment out of reading, but it's just like making it seem like a treat. You know, that's what I always did. I don't know. This worked for, for my family. Like I made reading seem like something that was a gift and the library also like a gift, you know, and a big, a big deal to go and take out a book, how lucky we are to be able to take out books so that it's not a chore it's something that's like a total gift, right? And then not dictating what the reading has to be. And that's really hard for us parents because, you know, we want our kids to read maybe like a certain type of book that we think is more worthy, right? Like maybe we don't think graphic novels are, are reading, right? I've heard that from parents and I always like, oh, if I know the person really well, I <laughs> like, hey, you know what? Graphic novels are amazing, you know? And I will talk about that, that whatever your kid, if, if they do show any little spark of interest, let them, get them every, if they say, I wanna read comics, you get them every comic that you can find and put that in front of them. Because kids don't wanna be dictated to what they, they wanna read what they're interested in. They're never gonna fall in love with reading if, they're, if it's being forced on them, something that they're not interested in. At the same time, that's when we have our wonderful librarians that can be like, ooh, let me see, have you ever thought, and like slide that right under them, <laughs> under <laughs> their noses, and I'm, they can say, I think you might actually really like this. You know, that's all, that, I think that that's, the librarian 
superpower, right? Or, or the parental superpower, if you can, if you can figure that out, if you can talk to a librarian and say, what should I show to my, you know, what do you think will get them excited and interested? Here's what they sort of like. And, and don't mandate, There's, there should be no reading mandates from parents. You, you let them, let them guide you and your kid will find their way to a story. They all have that story about the reluctant reader who had this book that lit them up and it was their gateway, right? right? And it's never what you expect it to be. So it's hard. We think we have to have these rules sometimes as parents. And I, I totally probably made every mistake that I'm talking about. It's not even a mistake. It's just experience, right? It's just learning what works and what doesn't. So, you know, model reading, treat reading like a, a gift, not a chore. And, and let them be your lead on what they want to read. And as far as the writing piece, I feel the same way about that. When I go into schools, you know, they're getting, they're a lot of, and it's because it's in the curriculum, a lot of teachers have to, you know, teach, you know, personal narrative, or they have all these units where they're, you know, they have these boxes that they have to check. Yes. My, my workshops with kids are all creative writing. Like, it's letting them write what they want to write, you know? I give them sometimes some parameters, but really, they get, teachers are so pressed for time in their day a lot of times. Um, even, you know, homeschoolers as well, like, you have a lot of things that you're, you know, you're maybe taking your field trip that day, you have to do these units, you're, you have a lot to pack in, right? There's not always, I mean, if you can, it's wonderful to, like, have some free writing time. Let them write what they want to write. You know, I'll have, I don't know how much time we have left, but I have one story about being in a school and having them do a, a writing. We did a writing workshop and there was this little boy who I, I usually have saved time for them to be able to share what they wrote. Not some kids don't want to. Some kids are so excited too. They can't wait. You know, they want to read you pages and pages. And, you know, I can, I have a limited amount of time, so I can't call in every kid. So I had the teacher help me call in some kids. And this one little boy, he's over in the corner and I see him and he's like a little bit upset. And the teacher comes and whispers in my ear, can you stay a little longer and just let this, this student, I can't remember his name now, we'll call him Raul. Can you let Raul read? And she said, he's never asked to share anything of his writing. I said, absolutely, go ahead, you know? And he was so he was so upset that he didn't get a, a chance that he was actually a little weepy, you know. So we he he read the funniest, most lovely passage that he wrote, right? And the teachers were there was not a dry eye in the classroom because the teacher said, This is a boy who sits in front of a blank page. He says he doesn't know how to write. He gets overwhelmed. He never shares, right? And it was because he was had these assignments and dictated to him. He said he never had any ideas. But when he was just able to write from his heart and imagination and his silly and his funny, it just came pouring out of him, right? <laughs> the teachers were astounded and I was astounded because I was like, wow, this actually works. <laughs> so so giving giving them some some freedom to to write what they want to write, you know, and and if they need a little prompting, sure, you can come up with some some writers prompts. Those are fun, but then let it just be. If it goes in a totally different direction, that's okay. Right, right. One of the things that Charlotte Mason uh, is known for is her idea of that children are born persons, that they 
have their own unique personalities, that they are individuals and that we, we're here to guide. And so we come prepared in various ways, but that we do, uh, that we're open to who they are and what, what the direction that they were created to go. Right. And so just being part of of that process, uh, when you were sharing about uh, the comic books and the graphic novels, um, you know, it's one of those things, like I was thinking how there are so many books, but not every book is really, not every book is going to be of quality. Right. And, and, and so you want your children to be more quality. So if, if graphic novels and comic books are what is, what is igniting that spark, then you as a, uh, an educator, as a parent can then go and, and research and try to find those really well-written comics or well-written graphic novels mm-hmm. that now you, you, you meet both worlds that that's possible. And that takes uh, the parent being intentional in that, not just giving them anything. Cause that that's also the problem too. Like we, we, we don't want to restrict, but, but we want also want to make sure that, that the ideas that are being placed in their minds are, 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 are that are going to bear fruit. Like those stories, like the whole theme of uh, your book, like that these seeds are going to be uh, good seeds, that they're going to be, um, that they're going to, they're going to bear good fruit. Yeah. But you know, it sometimes starts with a kid that only wants to read the stories, the Captain Underpants, nothing against Dave. <laughs> Dave Pilkney. I always called him because he has no E on his name. Dave Pilkney, you know, but like sometimes that's where they start right? They start with underpants and trust me, they will move on from underpants, you know, but, but it may just give them the confidence that they can even finish a whole book, right? right? Because that can be daunting. So if we, if we just like check our own, what, you know, we, we sometimes have our own egos on our kids Mm -hmm. and what they, and like sort of check that a little bit and say, okay, I'm not going to say anything. I want to read the 19th underpants book. Okay. But there's going to be a moment when then they move on to something else that you put in front of them. They have now have the confidence to read a whole book and they know that they are, they have all of a sudden seeing themselves as readers. Right. I go through that. So important. I go through that all the time with my daughter because she, well, she's not a reluctant reader. She, she loves to read, but she, her preference is like humorous books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, me too. I love humorous books, you know, and I know my daughter went through like a little, you know, potty humor phase. <laughs> And I was like, oh God, you know, like, yes, yes. So it's like, oh boy, you know, and I, I, I should be like, I just can't read these with her, you know, like, right. you go ahead and read that. You, I'll read my book in my quiet space right. and you read your book in your quiet space, you know, so and then she would run and read them out loud. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a lot of probably, you know, poop humor it's, and stuff like that. It's, but it's giving them that, that freedom. And yes. then. And, and in those yeah. moments, I'm like, okay, just let it go. Read through it. But, but still keep presenting other things. And yes. Keep gifting and still keep doing. Yes. And, and so because, I, yeah, anyway. Yeah. We can keep That's going our on. job, to keep, to keep presenting them with the options. And right, options. Of yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, those were really great tips. But do you have any other words of wisdom for our, our families listening, maybe on other... Um, topics and for homeschooling families in particular well we or are just our podcast it's mainly homeschoolers but we also mm-hmm. have um uh, parents who have uh, their their children in traditional schools in traditional schools um 
Wow. You know, I think now that I have, you know, I have, it's funny, I have a, a, a daughter who's almost 11. I have a high school senior and I have one in college, right? So I have been through each phase of this now. <laughs> I don't have the empty nest yet. I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I have three kids and, you know, my, my daughter's turning 20 tomorrow. And yeah, I can't believe it. Did I say that? And I think that, I, I guess it might sound a little cliche, but the advice that I have for parents is that every phase, you know, nothing is permanent. Everything changes. And, and, and looking back with a long lens now of, you know, how, how, how fast everything went and it's just, try not to rush anything like every every phase that you are in with your child be present soak them up appreciate them for truly who they are without trying to like move i know we have like milestones we want our kids to to hit and stuff but i've i've really just sat back now now that i'm a less nervous nelly of a mom right because I've, I've been there done that a little bit is i really i really sit back and enjoy my kids you know for who they are and they're all so different and i take like a lot of pleasure out of just their personalities and watching them you know they're becoming it has been such a privilege so i guess you know we, we're also we're also busy we're also consumed this is a, a fraught time in the world um, but to just have those moments of presence and, and never try to, you know, some, some phases are hard, but I, I don't, I just I guess I just don't try to wish them away in any, in any way. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, hurry up and get out of that phase. You know, mm -hmm. like we joked earlier, pre-podcast, we joked about our daughters taking some of our stuff. Like, oh, my daughter's always taking my, my lipstick, you know? <laughs> um, but you know, <laughs> but it's, it's every, every phase that my kids have been in. Thankfully, they're happy and they're healthy. And I feel that I've been blessed. I just try to, to thank God for them and to just feel like I'm, I'm really along for their ride, right? I'm here as their guide, but um, they're, they're only on loan to me, right? Yes. <laughs> they're on loan to me a little bit. So I'm going to enjoy them and soak them up while I have them here. Yeah. yeah. Is that, is that corny? Oh gosh, that sounded corny, but no, it's no. the truth. It's the truth. Like, like I, I really, I like the humans that they are. And I tell them. Oh my gosh. There's kids need to hear that. You know, like I, oh, I said to my daughter, this is one thing I said, if I were a kid in your class, I would like you and want to hang out with you. Because I remember my dad said that to me once. He said, even if I wasn't your dad, if I were somebody in your, in your class, and I think I was about probably 10, years old he said I would think you were cool and I'd want to hang out with you I never forgot that I was like that made me feel so good so I said that to my daughter and I meant it too but I, I and she was like I watched her she was just like really I was like of course <laughs> and it meant a lot to her so yeah it's just the simple little things like that so many golden nuggets you just <laughs> gave us there and and great reminders to be present and to to enjoy the ride Thank mm -hmm. you so much for that, Anika. You're welcome. So I am going to give you some rapid fire questions. Okay. Are you ready for them? Yeah. <laughs> Nervous. Okay. All right. Okay. Number one, mm. what's your preference to write on paper or computer? Computer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Has it I, changed? No, I, I type 
I'm like a fast typer and that's how I can keep up with my brain. If I try to write it out, I get impatient with how long it takes me to write. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. And I know a lot of people say they can't, they, they're the opposite. Nope, not me. I want, I want my, I want to click, 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 click. Okay, good. <laughs> you make me feel a little better because sometimes okay. I'm like, man, everybody wants their journals, but sometimes I just need no. the computer. No, I don't, have, I don't have the patience. <laughs> really honest. <laughs> All right. What type of milk do you put in your cereal? Uh, oat milk. Hmm been hearing a lot about oat milk. <laughs> if there's a spider in your house, do you kill it or do you set it free? I set it free. Oh, <laughs> so sweet. I didn't used to, I didn't used to, but I do now. It's been a process, right? Yeah. Well, I grew up in New York and the creepy crawlies were not spiders, they were roaches. So. Right. <laughs> I mean, not, you know, but you saw them around. And, right, right. Yeah, we, would, we would kill those, but spiders are good. Right, right. It was uh, Charlotte's, Charlotte's Web and all that. Charlotte's Web. It's like, <laughs> oh, I can't kill spiders. <laughs> Charlotte's Web and all that. Yeah. All right. Would you go to a movie alone? Yes, and I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to sneak away when the kids were little sometimes and go to the movies by myself. That was like a way to not, you know, to deal with early motherhood. <laughs> yep. I hear that too. <laughs> All right. And last question. What's been your favorite place or country you've visited? Visited. Oh, I'm going to say, oh gosh, well, I love Puerto Rico, of course, <laughs> but I was just last before the pandemic, I was in Italy and that's the other side of my family. And it was just so, I felt very connected. You know, I could, I, I haven't, I grew up with mostly, you know, the other side of my family as far as like the culture that influenced me. So it was really interesting to be immersed in the other side, which my, they're just not as connected. My mom's family's not as connected to the Italian, even though it's there, it's in the food, you know what I mean? But like, as far as going there and talking about being there and it was, oh, such a warm and wonderful place and beautiful. And I felt like, yeah, I need to go back. It was my first time there. It was, it was stunning. We were in um, Florence and the Tuscan countryside and a little bit in Rome. And man, if you, if you watch that show, Stanley Tucci's Italy, have you ever watched it? No. It's on like the Travel Channel. Stanley Tucci's an actor and a, I think he's got a memoir. It makes you want to go to Italy. Mm. Have all the food and wine. Right, right. <laughs> Authentic. It was, it, yeah, it was one of my favorite trips I've, I've ever taken. Oh, wow. That sounds really special. It sounds yeah. special in many ways. It was. It was. It was great. So before we go, Anika, where can we find you and support you? So my, uh, I have an author website, which is just anikadenise.com. I am on all the, I'm in all the places on Twitter. I think I'm Anika Denise on Twitter, on Instagram, because I don't know how to change that. On Instagram, I am Anika underscore Alamoy underscore Denise. Would I forget anything else? No, that's pretty, that's pretty much where I hang out. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to spend, to share with us. It has been a true pleasure and we thank you and we bless the work that you're doing and uh, continue to be a light um, in, in this time, in the season where <laughs> it could be a little crazy. So we appreciate all the positivity and, and the beauty that you're sharing with us. Thank you, Erica. You have a lovely um, 
podcast and you're so good at leading the conversation. So thank you so much for having me. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and bring you peace.